0: Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this evening back to First John, and turning, uh, let's read at the begin at the end of chapter two. Uh, so, First John chapter two, at verse twenty-eight, and we'll read uh, down to uh, verse uh, ten in chapter three. First John chapter two. At verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother." This morning uh, we asked the question, why did Jesus come into this world? And we said there was many ways that we could begin to answer that question, but we turned to the Apostle John to see how John answers the significance of the Son of God's coming. And you remember that we said that one of the key words that John uses here in chapter 3 is that word appearing. And he is explaining the significance of Jesus' birth, of the coming of the Son of God into this world by using that word appearing, or manifested himself. And we highlighted that John began to answer that question. It wasn't necessarily all that John wanted to say, but we began to answer that question there in verse 5. That the Son of God appeared to take away sin. But John's answer actually is even broader than that. He has more to say, and as we were reading that, you may have noticed that John keeps using that language of appearing. He uses it again here in verse 8. And he also uses it earlier on uh, to speak about Christ appearing again. And so we're to understand Christ's appearing as something all-encompassing, even as he began to answer it by saying that he came to take away sin. But when John said that, he was echoing the language of John the Baptist. Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. And now John is explaining Jesus' coming in that same fashion. But this evening we want to turn back uh, to John, First John chapter 3. And we want to expand our answer about why Jesus came into this world. And we want to look specifically at verse 8 where it says, uh, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. This evening we want to see that because the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil, those who believe in Christ will not identify with his works. We want to look at this verse, this uh, one verse together, and again in two thoughts. We want to think about the works of the devil, and then we want to think about the works of the devil destroyed. First then we want to think about the, the works of the devil. The devil... Uh, is something that is oftentimes ridiculed uh, in our culture today. Oftentimes, there is very little attention given uh, to the notion of a devil, uh, unless it is for parody reasons, or perhaps it comes out in horror movies. Uh, The idea of the demonic as something that is uh, to terrify. But when we think about the devil, uh, we are thinking about an evil spirit. Just as we believe that there are pure spirits, angels that minister God's purposes, so we recognize that there are rebellious spirits that are living against God in disobedience. And the devil is one uh, chief among them who is a slanderer and an accuser. He lives in rebellion against God's will, uh, seeking to destroy or to usurp uh, his purposes. But Jesus himself was not ashamed uh, to... Uh, assert the existence of a personal devil. Uh, Jesus himself in John's Gospel says that the devil, uh, ever since he was the devil, from the beginning has been a murderer and the father of lies. Jesus summarized his activity in those two ways. He's a murderer. He is one who seeks to destroy life. He is one that is attacking life and seeks to bring the end of life. And he is a liar. He is one who twists and distorts the truth, seeking to uh, to deny what God has said and God's purposes. And we see that, don't we? We read there in Genesis chapter 3, which gives us the account of the uh, beginning of sin uh, amongst humanity. It tells us how our first parents rebelled against God. And it tells us that the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. And when he came to the woman, he he challenged her by asking questions. And the questions were very intentionally laid. They were questions that were meant to undermine the woman's confidence in God. You remember what he asked Eve. He said, did God really say that you can't eat of any of the fruit in the garden? The question was not one of ignorance. The devil was asking that question in order to cast a shadow over how they thought about God. Why would God deny them anything? Why wouldn't God allow them to eat of everything? Doesn't that seem like God is hiding or holding something back from them? Is God really good if he doesn't give us all that we see around us? And so the question was planting a seed of doubt. It was meant to undermine their confidence in the goodness of God. Did God really say that you can't eat of any of the fruit of the garden? And so when Eve answered that question as she could, she tried to explain, no, we we can eat, but we can't even touch Of this one, lest we die. And when the devil heard that, he interjected and said, You will not surely die. He was not only doubting or casting a shadow over the goodness of God, he was casting doubt over the trustworthiness of God. God said this, but then the devil said, That's not true. He's not telling you the truth. He's not trustworthy, he's not faithful. And so the devil cast a different narrative towards them. He knows that in the day that you eat of it, you will know good and evil. God is actually keeping something from you. And so when Eve saw that the the fruit was good because it was made by God, because it was appetizing, because all that God makes is good, it's not as though the fruit was any more glorious than any other fruit, but just that this fruit was the fruit that God said not to eat of. When Eve was deceived, we're told that she went astray and took that fruit and ate of it and gave it to Adam. And Adam likewise ate of that fruit. What was the works of the devil there? As Jesus himself, it was casting doubt on the goodness of God. It was casting doubt on the trustworthiness of God. But it was really planting deception in the minds of our first parents. It was really seeking to destroy the gift of life, of fellowshipping with God, and to bring about their own death and downfall. And so Jesus was right when he described the works or the activity of the devil in that way. He has been a murderer from the beginning. He has been the father of lies. All lies lies find their origin in the devil. And so the outcome of the devil's work was to bring the whole world in subjection to sin and now lived under the uh, the sentence of condemnation. It has been the work of the devil then to oppose God and to his works but also to lead others to live in opposition to the Lord as well. When we doubt the goodness of God and the trustworthiness of God we are really believing the lies of the devil. That's the efforts of God, when we harbor suspicion about God, what is he keeping from us, or what has come against us, we are being uh, led in the, the narrative or the lies of Satan himself. And so we see that even when we look back in the garden, that it's true, this is how the devil works. But you notice here when John was writing to the church, John is writing to Christians in the first century, And John is very intentional about how he addresses them because there is a certain matter that the early church was wrestling with. It's it's the issue of false teaching, that there was deceptive ideas that were infiltrating into the church. And when John writes to the church, he is concerned for them that they wouldn't be led astray. There were certain people who were going around in name, identifying themselves as Christians. But they weren't embracing the apostles' teaching. Instead, they were much more interested in their own philosophies. They were much more interested in their own ideas than they were with what the the revelation of God and the the good news as it's been taught by the apostles. And so what they were really doing is, is that they were spreading their own teachings and and causing harm in the church. And John is writing to these Christians saying you need to realize the difference between truth and error. You need to be able to recognize the difference between true Christianity and something that is a false counterfeit. You need to be able to understand how to respond and to differentiate so that you're not led astray. And John in this letter is highlighting the differences in many different ways. One of them is in their view of the Son of God. But another way in which John really pushes on the button of how you can tell the difference is in their view of sin. John has been accenting the difference between these false teachers and true Christians by talking about sin itself. Back in chapter 1, you'll notice that John made the point. He said, if we say we have fellowship uh, with While we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. If we say we have fellowship with God and we are living in darkness, living in sin, we're lying. Notice how John is describing this this pattern of life. Not just you're in error, he says you're lying and you do not practice the truth. In verse 8 he says if we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us Do you hear how John's describing this the difference here between right and wrong teaching that is circulating to say that one can happily live their life in sin and just carry on living for sin John says that's lying that's not true and it's evidence of deception. And so as John here is talking about this false teaching, this uh, distortion that is going around, he is trying to highlight there is something dangerous that is uh, affecting or that is circulating around the church. Because this is what people were doing. There were people in the early church that were claiming they had fellowship with God. They, have, they, have, they know God themselves but they're carrying on their life living in sin. They're quite happy to live the way that they want to live, irregardless of what God's commands say. And that if anyone challenges them with a wave of the hand, they say, I know I have fellowship with God, as though that is the end of the matter. They can carry on living however they want to live, and they still say that they are Christian. This is why John is so blunt, and so direct, and so black and white, because this is something very dangerous that has come into the church. They are uh, wanting to say they have fellowship with God, even while they live in and for their sin. They're approving of it. They're defending it. They're not concerned about it at all. And when we begin to understand the context in which John is writing, it helps us understand why John writes the way he does. When you turn to chapter 3, which we alluded to this morning, remember in verse 6, he says, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. And no one keeps on who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Now, John does not think that Christians are free of any struggle against sin or the presence of sin in their life. We know that because John, again, already in the first chapter, said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Present tense. If we say we have no sin, then we are not living in light of the truth. So then why does John write the way he does here in chapter 3? Why does he say no one who knows him will keep on sinning? No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Because of this, John is trying to draw a line in the sand. And what John is trying to do is he's saying there's something fundamentally different between these two ways of life. This isn't just a distortion of the gospel message. He is saying that those who embrace this way of living for their sin are of a different religion. They do not know him. They do not practice the truth. And so John's language here is one of being on guard against being deceived, not being led astray. That's why he says uh, in verse 7, little children, let no one deceive you. Because deception happens not just in the garden. Deception happens when lies are embraced. Lies that would lead people away from the truth about God. And John here is vitally concerned that the church understands the truth over against falsehood. While we all sin and we struggle with sins in our life, a genuine Christian, again, is marked by a desire to be freed from sin. They are someone who looks to Christ to take away sin, But also, as John says, they are ones who strive and practice and long for righteousness. They want to do the will of God as well. They seek to live apart from sin. But where those marks are absent, there is an absence or a void of what the gospel calls for. So what does it mean to be deceived? means to be led astray. It is to be driven off the path, to be led away from God's truth and to believe something that does not conform to God's reality. It's to believe something that does not conform to truth as God says it is, but rather to believe a different story, to believe something other than what God has said. And here John is warning that not only did that happen to Eve, but we must be on guard ourselves. They were happy to carry on their sins and maintain that they had still fellowship with God. And John is saying, if you think that you can carry on living for sin and improving, uh, approving of sin and embracing sin, then you are deceived and the truth is not in you. What John is really doing is he is stepping back and he is saying that the one who lives for sin is someone who is still gripped by the lies of Satan. They are still being shaped by the narrative that Satan would give. The work of the devil then is to lead people away from God through lies. The scriptures stress that we are to be on guard against the deceitful schemes of the devil. One who is seeking to bring death, and one who is doing that with deception distorting God's word, and causing people to believe lies instead of the truth. So we see it in the garden, the activity and the work of Satan. He's a father of lies, and he's been a murderer since the beginning. But we also see John here using language that is alluding to that activity of Satan. Don't be deceived. Don't believe the lies. Don't practice lies yourself. Be on guard against those lies. But John here summarizes that the Son of God, in verse 8, the Son of God came into this world for this purpose. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The word there for destroy uh, can oftentimes mean break or to loose. Uh, It has the idea of causing something to lose its, its power, its stronghold. Uh, Sometimes when kids are building something, maybe they're building their Lego blocks, or they're they're building their uh, towers, and maybe something happens, and now the tower has fallen over. There's still the remnants of a tower, but the child might look at that broken tower, and they say, it's destroyed, because it no longer works. It no longer is fulfilling what it was supposed to fulfill. And here it says that the reason why the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That is, he would render them without power and without strength. It doesn't mean that the devil has stopped working. But it means that his power has been broken. That his ability to carry out his work has been diminished. It It has been weakened because of the coming of the Son of God. Again, what is the work of the devil? It's to cast doubt. It's to cause people to believe lies, principally lies about God Himself. You can't believe in God because there's so much evil in the world. If there was a God, wouldn't He remove all the evil and suffering? Why can we believe in God if there's so much evil? He must not be good. Or if He's good, He must not be all-powerful, or He'd take it away. And so either he's not all-powerful, so there's no point trusting in him, or he's not good, and he's not trustworthy in the first place. It's casting doubt. It's causing a person to say, why would I believe in this kind of a God? It's the works of the devil to cause a person to have doubts cast at God himself. But the devil can also cause a person to live lies based on the relationship with God. Look at your life. Look at the mess that you have made. There's no way that you can turn to God now. You've made a mess too far. You've crossed the line. There's no going back for you. You just have to carry on with what you're in. And so there's this mindset of believing things about God that are not according to what God himself has said. It's to believe a lie that God is not trustworthy or that God is not good or that God is not all-powerful or to believe that he's not merciful to sinners. And the reason why the Son of God appeared into this world was to to cast out that disillusion, to dispel of the darkness of those lies so that people would know the truth about God. How can I know the living God? And what John is celebrating is is that the Son of God came into this world. And as Robert Candlish would say, that his purpose, his will was to do nothing but the will of his Father. That he was the perfect expression of the character of God in the flesh. So that we know what God is like. In the face and in the life and the death of the Lord Jesus. This is the revelation of God. So that I don't have to live with doubts. I don't have to live in lies. But the truth has been manifested. The reason that the Son of God appeared was to give his life as a ransom for many. But when he did that, it dispels with the idea that God is uncaring. That he's not good. That he doesn't deal with the evil and suffering of the world. Or that he was not merciful to sinners. It's in the cross that we begin to see most chiefly uh, the the work of our God and the character of our God. Throughout uh, the Lord's earthly ministry, we're told that he was breaking down the stronghold of the devil's works. He was casting out demons. He was proclaiming the good news. The book of Acts tells us that he went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. Jesus' whole ministry was one of destroying the stronghold of Satan. And ultimately, the cross is the climax of that. He has dispelled any notion that God doesn't care, or that God is not good, or that God is not merciful, or that there's no way of being reconciled with this God. And so as we look at why the Son of God came, He came to make known the truth, in order that we would no longer be deceived by lies. He demonstrated the truth of God's goodness and power and mercy. You think of someone who's been hypnotized. When someone is under hypnosis, they're in a trance-like kind of state, like sleep. But when they're in that state, they're under the influence of someone's suggestion. But it's as if the trance has been broken here. And John is saying, when the Son of God came, it made it clear that what Satan was saying is a lie. That when we look at the coming of the Son of God, we see God for who He is. And we live in response to that. Suddenly the arguments of the devil don't have the same strength to them. Now they have weakened in their, their backing or of their support. Like in a courtroom, someone might have certain arguments or trying to put forward a certain narrative of the situation and then suddenly some evidence is presented that just dispels that whole notion. No, I guess that's not what happened at all because this demonstrates something very different. And John is saying the Son of God came and demonstrated the truth about God and the lies of Satan are exposed. Satan's activity has been broken. And now it is the work of God to show forth his grace in and through the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You bring it back to what John is saying in this letter, there are people who are saying they are Christians who want to go on living for sin. They don't really care about what God's Word says. And John is saying sin is serious, though. It's serious because it took the Son of God to come into this world to die, to take it away. But John's not just saying that Jesus came to take away the guilt of sin. John here is saying the Lord Jesus came into this world to transform sinners so that they would no longer live for their sin. They would no longer abide in it. They would no longer practice it willingly that by the work of the Spirit they would have that new desire because they're being led by the truth. So Someone says, what's the big deal about living in sin? What's the big deal if I don't live according to God's ways? So what if we're living together? And John is saying here, God's Word is a light to our feet, that we are to live in light of what He has said. And it always comes back to this question, what is your view of God? Do you believe that God is trustworthy? Are you believing lies about God? Are you believing lies about how you live in reality? Or are you being shaped by the Word of God? Are you living acknowledging God's ways are right, and therefore I am going to practice righteousness? It comes back to what is it that we believe? Are we being shaped by truth? Or are we being deceived by listening to the wrong source? The works of the devil continue, but they have been broken of their power when we think about what God has done in history. The Son of God came to make known the truth, the truth about God, the truth about His grace. And when we think about that, that the Son of God came to make known the glory of God, our attention is turned to the truth about God. And as we are drawn to Him, to trust God, we are drawn to trust and to imitate as well as admire His Son. That's what John is getting at here. No one who abides in Him makes a practice of sinning. But we find that we are being shaped to long as Christ longed for the glory of God ourselves. We have fellowship with God as we live in accordance with his will. And so here John is drawing out the fact that those who know the Lord Jesus will have a different estimation about sin itself. Even when we see uh, the presence of sin in our own life, if we trust in God's word, We have the comfort of knowing that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. That our God's work and purposes will prevail. So why did the Son of God come into this world? John is giving us actually a lot of answers. He says he came into this world to take away sin. He came into this world to dispel of the works of the devil. He came into this world to make sinners into children of God. But you notice that John also weaves into this this idea that Christ's coming was also an anticipation of his next coming. Because while we are children of God by now through faith, if we are trusting in him, John also says, and what shall be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he does appear, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. There will come a day when the works of the devil will be no more. There will be no more death. There will be no more lies. All that will remain will be the works of him who is making all things new. There will be life forevermore for his people. And there will be the clarity and truth of God's righteousness and the peace and joy that comes from that and the, the hope of everlasting joy when he appears again. Because Christ has done a work. He has come to take away sin. He has come to destroy the, the works of the devil. But he has also come to make his people fit for heaven. And so we have a, a full explanation about his coming. He has appeared, and we are to live in response to it. He has come to make truth and righteousness and love flourish. John gives us a a wonderful explanation here of Christ's coming. Have you come to know the truth of God and the work in Jesus Christ and live in light of his word? Let's pray.